0: Dashin Yam you do Mish Marilyn Krellen. I'm Marilyn Krellen, and I'd like to welcome you to this programme which is called Shack Lair. In Shack Lair this time to her George Shawjay Lair, lair Blinia and lair Rugger Mona Inner Hoolish. The anniversary of the day on which Mona Douglas was born. We dip into the Manx Radio archives to find out more about Mona Douglas and to hear from Mona herself in a programme she took part in in 1981, talking with David Collister about folk medicine. (laughs) Cheyenne Frank Beardmore Douglas' Frances Mona Holmes for Constance Mona Douglas. Do Mona, do howie rugged sin vanin, How's they sure of I man and us red va shap funny egadishig. Rear and skill, thy mumig torach, a carrowie jerkle rich a hugh and turris, kindach that and heeden, air Mona, do a rugged de to Mona grade do furly yernach her board, furly verica, as hoon a leshe mumig. Eggertrae van shap funny egger jishig uns balyabeg cheer a Woolton. Uns balyabeg cheer a Woolton, va furly inadach oan, va hawk hee jag care feeders day egg, dere averse uns nai as hawk jeg, henk va divil an As van enameger, Charles Valence Verica, as te jeeken de round moan a rugget de firin uns the shap funny uns balyabeg cheer a Mona Douglas had this to say about her birth. I wasn't expected just at that
1: time and Mother was crossing from Ramsey to Liverpool on the Ellen Vannon, and uh, she got very, very seasick and apparently this brought on the birth and, and uh, uh, I, was, uh, I was born before they got to Liverpool.
0: That's probably a Douglas family story. A rough trip on the Ellen Vannon that accelerated her mother's pregnancy giving rise to the story that she was practically born on the Ellen Vannon. It would be a huge coincidence if the doctor of the place where the family was living just also happened to be on board the Ellen Vannon to help Mrs Douglas. But that was the way Mona interpreted the story, passed down through her family about her birth on the 18th of September 1898. Mona Douglas wanted to pass on her own interest and knowledge in all things Manx to new generations, encouraged as she herself had been by Sophia Morrison. One of those enthused by Mona was Annie Kiswick. <laughs>
2: It was down to mum and dad and it was also down to Leslie Quilliam, um, the teacher again, who who had a word with mum and dad and mentioned that he thought I was very interested in or would be very interested to meet uh, Mona Douglas because she had what they called a, a youth group in town at the time. It sounded a bit youth group in town, sounded a bit bit dodgy but anyway (laughs) we we, I I expressed an interest and my sister Jenny too um and we we, we were brought down basically every Saturday night from I I suppose I was about seven till I was about 17 um I'd be going to uh, the back of Mount Havelock and along with a, a few other um Children and youths, and we would be learning Manx songs and some dancing, even fencing at one point. And as I got older, I got sort of dragged into different. Um, different aspects of culture, if you like, dialect, plays and all sorts of things, which didn't just involve the children of Erglich but involved other people who were interested both in the sort of preservation of dialect and sort of Manx traditions and also the language. So I ended up coming across an awful lot of very... Influential people who indeed did influence me very strongly at a I, I suppose a time when i was uh, i was very uh, open to it all um, so I was very lucky but Mona Douglas was um the uh, was a sort of constant through through my life, really, and, and still is in in various ways. I mentioned to you that you know, like I said, I knew her as a child, knew of her as a child. Did, had
3: no idea about the importance of her, and you said, well, actually, that was pretty much the case when she was alive as well. Most people
2: just had no idea how crucial the work she was doing was. Yeah, she was a very determined lady, and she didn't. Um, she 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 saw where she wanted to go, and she appeared to take no notice of the difficulties that everybody else would see this is the right thing to do this is what we'll do and she was sort of out of her time really the things she was interested in at the time and promoting and knew about were things that really I think most people thought had fizzled out before or during the first world war Um, and they seemed a bit old-fashioned and strange and, and Backward-looking, if you like, and um, Mona had a sort of mystical uh, side to her as well, which I think might have caused huge embarrassment to the practical people of the 20th century. <laughs> uh, so she was a little bit out on a, out on a limb, but she did her own thing, and she kept doing it all her life. And she she saw the world in a different way than most people. Um, but I I. Yeah, I was I I was impressed by the sort of singularity of her her vision, and you should do what feels right. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think I've sort of tried in a way to follow in not exactly her footsteps because we wouldn't agree on lots of things. But um, that, that idea, is you should follow what feels right, and your instinct on these things is uh, is not a bad way to be.
3: And it, it just, it absolutely sort of proves how important those connections are with people and how you can have, you know, even a brief encounter with someone and it can influence the the rest of your life, really. And and actually what her work, her work and what you've continued to do since is influencing all of our lives because you see it around us now, don't you? You can see oh, the effects of it. Oh, I think she would
2: be delighted to see all the uh, interest in um, Manx culture that's going on at all levels now. It's very respectable, almost too respectable, some might say. But, um, you know, it's gone from being a sort of very, very small minority to quite a healthy minority now, I think. I don't think she'd have been surprised, though. She, She thought that everything had its time. I think, and uh, it probably does. Yes,
3: and yes, everything had its time. But uh, you, you described when you, you sent in your information, you were saying that she did what she did in spite of the indifference and hostility of the times that she was in. Yes. So there, there was quite a backlash, yeah. was and there? And
2: I think, I mean, she didn't always help herself. I mean, I, I think some people were horrified. You know, people were would be uh, record, go on record of having seen fairies here, there, and everywhere. It just sort of confounded the images of, you know, airy-fairy woman once, you know, intellectually sort of lacking, ridiculously imaginative, all the things that would be used um, sometimes against women, actually, (laughs) I think, um, particularly in the past, uh, not so much these days. But I do feel she was... she was, in a way, at a disadvantage of being female at a time when most of the movers and shakers in the Manx world, uh, the people who were out researching the Manx language and this sort of thing, were all male. And they were all very, uh, you know, I have huge respect for them as individuals, but, you know, there was this sort of strange woman on the periphery doing her own thing, <laughs> which <laughs> sort of involved songs and things that people didn't perhaps feel were quite as important as, as they would do now. Um, And she was very creative. And, you know, she didn't really see a a gap between what you collect and what you find and what you create yourself. So, you know, as a folklore collector, she's probably pretty desperately bad because, you know, your own imagination and her own experience went straight into it. But I identify with that very strongly. And I think it's just the mark of being
0: a really creative person in the right environment. So... Annie Kissick and her experience of Mona Douglas through Erglach Vannin and later as a friend and
1: mentor. <laughs>
0: Be the host nish To Kunytonek Mona Douglas, a kid current her tie a luck tie exafia morrison Vadamaya Ener kindach Risha of a chimsach a skillin rein a rain as an a nirsa ecilg Habik Monarchna fetcher ach Och aner sec er veel Irish dach haile. Grad a dug Sophia Morrison G pencil as your screwy, denother he screw she na haley. Last year, Derek Winterbottom brought out a book called Sophia Morrison, Mona Douglas, and Their Enchanted Isle. In conversation with Beth Espy and Christy De Haven, he had this to say.
4: I really do think that Mona Lugas is the most important, most influential uh, manx woman of the 20th century, and this is what I try to make sure uh, make clear in the book.
5: More so than Sophia Morrison? Yes. Why?
4: Well, because Sophia started the ball rolling, if you like. She followed on from T. Brown, who was a hero of hers. Um, she wanted to continue the kind of manx um, cultural nationalism which he he, he started and also to preserve the language and also to preserve dialect and to a great extent she did that but she only had a short working life really she didn't become prominent until 1900 she died very sadly of intestinal cancer how how you know how rotten was that at the age of 57 so she only had 17 working years she did a lot but mona lived for 89 years, she started writing poetry uh, when she was around 10, and uh, all during that period she did a fantastic amount for the Isle of Man, which I really couldn't uh, describe in Less than 20 minutes.
3: And as ever with your books, Derek, there's so much research that's gone into this. How long did you spend in the Manx Museum Library?
4: Everybody tells me that, you know, as as though one is kind of chained to it and uh, (laughs) has brought bowls of gruel. Um, It's not that bad, uh, but uh, I was there for about four or five months over the side, but you know I wasn't there every day and, and I don't uh, regard any of this as a chore at all I wouldn't do it if I didn't find it truly fascinating and I write these books because I thoroughly enjoy writing them and uh, talking about them afterwards
3: And so obviously the book is about both women it's about Mona Douglas and Sophia Morrison you just mentioned the, the sort of time period that Sophia was active uh, what was the time period with Mona and would they have ever actually met and known each other?
4: Well, they did. Um, as I've just uh, mentioned, um, Sophia really was only operating for seventeen years. She was born in eighteen fifty-nine. Mona, Mona was born in eighteen ninety-eight, which makes Sophia forty years older. And you should always remember that. According to Mona, Sophia encouraged her to start collecting Manx folk stories, and uh, when she was about nine or ten, and Mona won a Douglas Prize for a poem when she was about 10 and a significant international bookman literary prize with a poem called Fairies in 1912 she's only 14 remember at this time the next year Sophia started a journal called Manning and asked if she could include a poem by Mona called Longing and another one called Billy the Dolan this is around 1914-15 and articles on folklore by then Mona had had a first book of poems published in the UK, Mank Song and Maiden Song. Again she's only seventeen. And then in nineteen sixteen Sophia and Cushig invited Mona to stay in Douglas and watch Cushig's uh, new plays. Sophia died in January nineteen seventeen and then Mona stepped into her shoes almost completely at the age of nineteen. She took over the editorship of this journal, Manin, and also became in Sophia's place Secretary of the Bank Society, and she was only 19. But, you know, by that time she'd done so much and been a published author. May I just read, I think, a beautiful poem which Mona wrote in tribute to Sophia in the last edition of Manin. It's called In Max Gaelic Er which means away or gone or out of touch. We walked among the mists in eager quest of fairy lore, and talked with eyes aglow of all the strange, invisible things that go about that sea-girt land we loved the best. And ever the grey mist whirled and took no rest, the waves came sliding inwards soft and slow, and wheeling gulls troubled dim sands below, and cold wet winds came blowing from the west. Now you have passed out from these shadow lands by unknown ways to seek the light of lights. Still the pale winds whirl mist across the sea, and white gulls cry, and rain beats on the sands. But you are away among the strange delights whereof the unquiet waves sing endlessly. Derek Winterbottom, author
0: of Sophia Morrison, Mona Douglas and Their Enchanted Isle, and his unequivocal view of Mona Douglas as a very significant figure of the 20th century.
1: O my son, my son, I am
0: the sly horn of a smuny tender round Mona Douglas <laughs> <laughs> Quake rich in air sec. A beal Irish as Shandyach Van Nyina Sam Maservac, Henky De Vedemaya Ener, Son Elorin as Artenos paper and Nyach, as Rasmoo air as Tiglus J Novi Proud Kulina In nineteen eighty one, Mona took part in a Max radio programme with David Collister about folk medicine, cures and charms that we used. It also gave rise to many people phoning in to mention their own experiences. Here is part of what mona herself had to say. A great thing in the island
1: in the old days of course used to be the fairy doctors. And they weren't fairies, of course. They were people who cured by charms, and they were nearly always men. Some of the women folk used to cure by herbal mixtures and that kind of thing, but they were nearly always accompanied by some uh, spoken words as well. And uh, the men seemed to have specialised in... These spoken charms also with uh, something touching or something like that with the hand and uh, a great many of them were very well known especially for curing animals but also some of them for curing people now um, the most famous uh, curing family that I've heard of is the Tears Balakwain out in the north And uh, they have uh, had a reputation in the island for many years. And people would travel great distances to take a patient to them. And you've got a a woman in Douglas who is a relative of that family. Yes. Uh, A very important person she was last year. That's Miss May Tear, who was mayor of Douglas. Oh, yes. She claims uh, connection with the Tears of Balakwain.
5: yes. Yes. But these old charms um, are quite extraordinary. Are they going to pass out? Are people going to forget all these? Is it going to be lost, do you think?
1: Well, I don't think they'll be lost. A good many of them have been recorded in various books on folklore Mm. that are published and available, and also a good many of them are still practised to some extent.
5: Has anyone ever charmed anything for you at all?
1: Um, yes. I have had uh, a wound charmed by a blood stopper. Of course, they were very well known, and they were nearly always men.
5: Yeah.
1: Now, uh, this particular man that I'm thinking about was at one time skipper of the Sarah Blanche. Do you remember the Sarah Blanche, a little cargo steamer that used to... I think she belonged to the packet company at one time, and then she was taken over by somebody else. I don't remember. But this man, Tom Crane, uh, he lived... In Douglas, I think he was a Peel man, really, but he lived in Douglas. And uh, he worked for the packet company before he got the command of the Sarah branch. <coughs> mm. And uh, I've often heard about people coming down to wait for the boat to come in to get Tom to go and stop blood from somebody that was very badly uh, bleeding.
5: Well, now, t- tell me what happened when, when this... Uh, were you uh, young at the time, or...?
1: Oh yes, I was just a child. Child,
5: can can you remember exactly what happened? What what, what did he do? Did he just say these words and, and it stopped bleeding? Oh.
1: Well, it was in my arm. I I must have cut an artery or something because it was a pretty bad bleeding. And uh, he stroked the arm and said something in banks, and uh, it gradually ceased. And uh, then they put a bandage on and it healed up normally. Mm.
5: So, did belief in what he was doing didn't enter into it, in your case, then?
1: No, I was just told to give him my arm, and I yeah. did, and this is what happened. Yes. And I didn't understand the Manx at that time. I expect it was what they usually said on Santa Manera, as a back, as the spirit knew, but I wasn't well enough uh, up in Manx at that time to no. understand it.
5: Have you ever, have you ever tried to um, do any charms yourself, or do you have to have certain gifts to be a charmer?
1: Well, for the blood stopping it was always said that the charm must only be passed on from a man to a woman or from a woman to a man, and it must be within the same family. I, personally, have never had one.
5: The fact that all these things are recorded in books doesn't necessarily mean that anyone can do them, does it, Mark? Oh, I don't
1: think so. Well, that varies. Some... uh, are possible to be done by anybody who knows the formula and others seem to be uh, confined to certain people. Now, you were talking about the warts and that reminds me that uh, something much more serious than a wart was sometimes cured or said to be cured and that is cancer. Really? They used to cure cancers by the application of hemlock, plus a charm, a spoken charm, and they could pull the cancerous growth out by the root. And this process was so painful, the actual pulling out, that the patient even if he was a man, sometimes fainted while it was being done. But they Mm. say that it was infallible. Now, only a very few people in the island were able to do this. One of them was Ewan Christian of Lake. And there was another man in Andres whose name I forget. But this has been recorded by folklore collectors, and it's been recorded, too, that the patients had no return. Uh, the so camp. there's no
5: doubt it's quite authentic, then?
1: Yes, of course it goes back when you and Christian was the beginning of the last century. I think the other man lived and worked pretty well up until the end of the last century. Yeah. But uh, quite a lot of people know about it in the North.
0: Mona Douglas taking part in that 1981 phone-in programme with David Collister. Mona Douglas, as Annie Kiswick mentioned, certainly had her detractors, but Derek Winterbottom regards her as a very important figure in the island in the 20th century. Mona Douglas was born on the 18th of September, 1898.
1: The next is a children's song, Arena the song of the blackbird. Musical imitations of bird songs are rather a characteristic feature of Max folk song, they are usually prefixed by a little story in which the bird speaks, tells a secret, or makes a complaint, and then the song attempts to combine the characteristic notes of the bird with the Gaelic words it's supposed to use. The blackbird is a particular favourite, but other birds imitated are the snipe, the grouse, the corncrake, the cuckoo, of course, and the yellow hammer. The story is that when the blackbirds got married, they agreed between themselves that uh, they'd take turns in look out looking after the young when they appeared. But when the young really did come uh, into the nest, Father Blackbird was off on his own occasions and poor Mother Blackbird was left sitting on the nest all day. So this is the song she sang, calling to her mate to come back. Blackbird, Blackbird, come back, come here. Landu, landu, veluchit, veluchit. Ski fie, ski fie, landu, landu, landu. Tapio, tapio, landu, landu. Lengia, lengia, kirsu, kirsu. Ski, fire, Ski,
0: As Machin Tashin Chit does Jerry Shaclay, he it's sure. That brings us to the end of this edition of Shacklair. We'll be back at 6 next Thursday, but now from me, Marilyn Crellin. Boom, Marilyn Crellin. Sled you.